Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Nick Fishman here on behalf of SJV Data Solutions, and we're doing our Hangout podcast. Uh, today, we're joined um, by SJV President and CEO Scott Vanek, as always, uh, as well as Vince Brote, uh, uh, our Vice President of Client Experience. And today, we've got a special guest, uh, Barry Nixon, who is the President and Chief Operating Officer at the Pre-Employment Directory. Uh, Barry is also the managing partner at Infinity Screening Consulting Services. So today we're going to dive in and talk to Barry about his expertise, specifically in workplace violence um, during it, uh, and after COVID-19. We're going to talk about how we, we see uh, what, what's going on with workplace violence. Are we going to see it rise? Are we going to see it fall? What are some of the observations we have? Um, as well as his unique perspectives on continuous criminal monitoring, um, whether that is uh, in uh, follow-up background checks or rescreens, uh, or the continuous criminal monitoring that uh, we've been offering here at SJV, um, and 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 in the and in the end, uh, we're going to kind of tie that up all together uh, by bringing those two concepts together. So uh, we're in for a treat today, uh, Barry. Thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation, Nick. Uh, so, Barry, uh, tell us a bit about the pre-employment uh, directory. Of course. Thanks for asking about that. Pre-employment directory uh, basically is designed to help employers meet the critical need that they have to know who's on their payroll and obviously who they are hiring. And the directory is a comprehensive listing of background screening firms, as well as has a very rich uh, knowledge center uh, and article library. So it's a resource for HR people that are doing research or want more information about background screening as well. But fundamentally, it's a one-stop shop uh, for organizations to find a background screening firm when they are searching for one. And it basically saves HR managers time so they don't have to do that initial research. We've done it for them and it's structured so that they can search by state in the United States, internationally by country or alphabetically. Uh, so what we really do is we help match um, employers to CRAs. Uh, and so we're kind of the industry matchmaker. Yeah. So everybody in the CRA industry loves you because you're matching them with uh, end users, right, Barry? That's exactly what we do. Okay. Yeah, you're and a very I'm, well-liked individual amongst consumer reporting <laughs> agencies and uh, providers because you know all the, you know, the CRAs, you know who all the, the key players are. So you've been a, uh, a great ally of ours and mine for a long time. Guys, he's he's a legend in background screen, like like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird of the NBA. Man, I'm serious. You're you're a legend, brother. A legend in my own mind, you know. <laughs> nice. It's it's tough to be called a legend sometimes because that also sometimes means you're old. But I'm not saying that, Barry. That's all. What, I'm are, what are you trying to say, Nick? <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Then, Nick, you're the most legendary person I know. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, by the way, anybody want to check out the site? It's at www.preemploymentdirectory, all one word, dot com. Uh, and so, um, so that that that's it for pre-employment directory. I know we'll talk a little bit more, but Barry, how about Infinity Screening Consulting Services, which I know you also lead? 
Yeah, and that's a, a adjunct to the work that we do, obviously, in the industry. And it really is an offshoot of the book that you participated in, Nick, uh, going back, can you believe it was 2008? Uh, we wrote the book on background screening. Uh, and one of the chapters dealt with infinity screening and kind of out of that uh, emerged a consulting practice to help companies and users really implement um, infinity screening or now as it has morphed into continuous screening and continuous monitoring. So it really is a service that helps them with the intricacies of employee relations issues, labor relation issues, if they have a union, uh, organization issues, cultural issues, uh, compliance, uh, and HR issues that kind of accompany implementing a continuous screening monitoring service. Okay. Uh, and Scott, do you want to uh, pick up on this line of questioning about continuous monitoring? Yeah, yeah. Great, great timing. And very glad, to, again, to have you on the on this podcast with us. Um, you know, I, I have a strong belief that there's a there's a, a strong future for continuous criminal monitoring. Obviously, there's there's shades of it across our industry today. But I think, you know, it'll it'll grow and expand um, over the over the coming years for certain, perhaps even blend with some of the healthcare screening that may take place now, you know, coming into the future. And we've talked Absolutely. about this. Mm -hmm. We talked about it briefly in a podcast a couple podcasts ago, but look, we'd love to get your perspective on continuous criminal monitoring. And, you know, so you've been consulting with employers on how to implement and develop continuous criminal monitoring programs. Can you start by sharing your philosophy on the topic, like referencing your your, your ebook? Yeah, and I think my philosophy is that uh, I make the umbrella continuous screening. Uh, and I call it a continuous screening program, which really is combining uh, rescreening, which has been around for a long time, as you mentioned, certainly in the healthcare industry, uh, around credentialing and checking people's credentials and making sure that they are current um, DOT records, those kinds of things. That's been around for a long time. It, more and more issues. Uh, are arising that need to be rescreened. So that's one component of it. The other component is the uh, continuous monitoring, which technology certainly now enables, so that in some cases, real-time information can be gathered uh, about employees' behavior. And so combining rescreening, continuous monitoring is really how what makes up a continuous screening program. Um, and so I think, as you stated, it is continuing to emerge and going to become a centerpiece uh, in the background screening industry. Uh, so I think we, uh, it's a, it has a healthy future ahead of it. Appreciate that. What do you think employers need to hear to get more comfortable you know, with the concept overall? Well, I think employers... Um, need to hear and need to understand that uh, CRA that's talking to them about uh, implementing this type program can help guide them, maybe provide even a roadmap around a lot of the issues that they see 
when they implement this kind of program. I think the strong point, obviously, people get the issue about um, risk mitigation and ongoing information. Uh, so that's uh, something that they get. Uh, but then uh, internally, HR, uh, and I'm an old HR guy, uh, start to think about, well, that's good, but what about uh, this and what about that? And so there are a lot of other associated issues that organizations want to make sure that uh, are addressed as well. And I think if CRAs can help lead them in that direction, provide the right information, uh, provide sources of information or uh, consulting services, then in fact, they're gonna be more open to doing it. Uh, but I think it's definitely something that uh, HR people, organizations have interest in, but I think we need to make sure that we're packaging it so that they kind of get the whole deal. How, how are you advocating for it today? And I know you mentioned, you know, that your consulting services, but you, you just mentioned a connection in the HR community. Are, are you are you doing anything else on, on that side? Well, we talk about um, the concept and historically we've talked about it as infinity screening, as I referenced. But, you know, sign of the times is that it's kind of now called continuous screening. So we have kind of gone with that. Um, we talk about it in presentations. Um, we are releasing shortly a, a guide for end users um, on how to implement a continuous screening program. Um, we have a slide share uh, presentation that uh, just got added to LinkedIn. And so there are a number of things that we're doing to really continue to reach out to end user community regarding it. And then obviously simultaneously reaching out to CRAs so they are aware of what we're doing and we can partner on that. You know, one of the, some of the biggest barriers, obviously there seems to be a legal barrier, but one of the biggest barriers too is just getting started. Yep. So, you know, what are some of the basic tasks that an employer needs to active, you know, needs to activate in order to you know, set up a, a true you know, continuous criminal monitoring program? Well, one of the things that they have to start with, we think it's the starting point, is to really assess where they are. Uh, and so that means, do they already have a background screening policy in place? Um, and if they do, uh, how they need to uh, adjust it so that it incorporates the whole concept of continuous monitoring. Uh, obviously, if they don't have a policy in place, then they need to create one. So they need to have that in place before they really even get started because they need to provide guidance to their managers, their supervisors, uh, their HR people uh, and support staff on how this is going to play out. Um, and one of the most critical questions um, that needs to be answered on the front end uh, and not on the back end is, okay, what are we going to do when a derogatory or adverse issue is identified? So this is one of those things. We need to answer that question first. What are we going to do? Um, as opposed to wait until it happens and then we run around like a chicken with our head cut off saying, oh my goodness, we got a negative hit, we got a, somebody that's a criminal, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, what do we do now? Um, so that's one of the things we we absolutely help people to understand. You got to answer that question and go through a number of scenarios. You cannot identify every scenario that's possible because we're dealing with human beings. However, you can identify a significant number of them so that you've already answered the question uh, when it pops up because it's inevitable if you start a continuous monitoring program, you're going to have hits. And so you need to know how you're going to deal with it uh, ahead of time and plan for that. So that's part of what we help organizations do. Excellent. Are you, do you think the CRAs are doing a good enough job at you know, preparing the employers? From what I can tell, and this is uh, a lot of this is anecdotal uh, and from conversations with, uh, I'll say some people, and certainly not an exhaustive list, I don't think that uh, CRAs have a full appreciation for uh, what introducing a criminal, uh, an ongoing continuous screening monitoring program means from an employer's perspective. So I think they need to get a broader perspective so that they understand that. And they have to also understand where that particular employer or organization is uh, and then help them from that point forward. Uh, not just assume that they're already at a certain baseline, um, because that's important. Um, and I've said to some people, and they take it as kind of very strong, but is that I think implementing a continuous monitoring program without helping an employer to understand the different pieces that they need to put in place um, is certainly problematic. And it might even approach being negligent because then they're going to face a whole bunch of issues that they wouldn't have faced otherwise. Uh, and if you can help them identify those ahead of time, then obviously they can build a plan. So very, that's a, Oh, I, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I think that that's a really good observation. Um, and, and, and something I think, you know, I don't want to talk about the CRAs like blatantly not doing this properly. I think they just might not be as informed that this isn't just like selling a normal background check where there are practices, procedures, and policies set in place for those kinds of things. But it's now like, okay, what do I need in order to sell that? I also wonder, um, and, I, and I wonder if you have anecdotal evidence on this, is HR the right buyer for this product and service, or is it a larger uh, kind of corporate uh, buy-in that, that needs to take place? It's an excellent question, Nick. And actually, you hit on something that's very important. Uh, what we're starting to see is that because we're talking about, and one of the key selling points of continuous monitoring is risk mitigation, um, you're getting risk management needs to kind of be involved, uh, as well as security, who oftentimes in organizations um, deal with a lot of the risks that organizations face. So I think it is broader than HR. Uh, I think still the preponderance, the focus is through HR, but I think you're absolutely right. The picture is bigger than that. And I'm not sure that a lot of uh, CRAs uh, understand that because their focus has been selling through HR. Yeah, they got to get further down the hall. That's the analogy I've always heard is you got to get down the hallway between the HR office to the compliance director or like you said, 
it could be the chief security officer or the chief information officer because mm-hmm. you know, they're going to deal with people's access, badge access. Um, exactly. Just your login information. You know, you have a hit come up for theft or whatever, and it's like, hey, we got to temporarily, you know, uh, to your point earlier, having a plan. We're going to temporarily suspend this person's access to the system until we verify what's going on. And I think that's, that's right. what CRA is like. You know, you're not just selling a product. You're selling a process that mm-hmm. helps to protect the the employer um, and the their employees as well. So it's not just focusing on, all right, what's the skew and what's the price and then what's the brand name for it. But, you know, it's like, you know, branching paths. If this, then that. And that's exactly having right. that conversation with them up front to say, let's build a program, not just sell you a product. I think that's the the, the gap that has to get bridged. Right. I think you're right on, Vince. Um, and that's different in many cases, as you said, in terms of the types of services that CRAs have sold. Yeah, right on. Yeah. And I tell you on a personal note, I sure do miss uh, running into you every Sunday at 11 a.m. at Whole Foods. So we, <laughs> we were in sync for about a month. I like, know. I running know. into each other. Oh, hey, you're here again. And he was yeah. seeing uh, Mia and oh, my gosh. I said, yeah, I know this guy. What's he doing here? Yeah, I live in there. It's right across the street <laughs> from me. I miss it, you know. I just had some food delivered today, but that's a whole different model, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not whole wallet. I mean, whole foods. So, um, <laughs> we're gonna... But, um, you know, I know it's it's definitely a, a crazy time where people can't see each other and you can't go out and you can't socialize as much. So it, it becomes a very tense time for everybody. For those people who are, in the workplace right now and still working and still seeing each other. Um, you being, you know, workplace violence, violence guru, are we seeing a rise in incidents, either workplace violence or otherwise? Um, or do we think that might be expected when people go back to work and there's so many restrictions and things are different? What do you think about that? Yeah. And it's a question that's on a lot of threat management professionals, workplace violence consultants, uh, it's it's a very healthy dialogue taking place about this. <clears throat> My perspective is that right now, I mean, the data shows us workplace violence incidents themselves are actually down. I mean, that's to be expected because many workplaces are closed or have people working remotely. So the typical workplaces that we're used to having don't exist right now. But that's so, going to change, right, Barry? I mean, the the, you know, our workplace is going to change because now it's becoming our home, right? So traditional domestic yeah. violence. So yeah, yeah, keep, go, exactly. keep, keep going. I'm really intrigued from my prior law enforcement days to hear, to hear, to hear you, what you got your perspective on this. Yeah. So. And you're, you're right on in that that's the aspect of workplace violence that actually is increasing is the domestic violence. Because what we're seeing is that uh, police departments and uh, service outreach services to domestic violence vi- victims, uh, their phones are ringing off the hook uh, because the workplace has switched in many cases from being that building we go to to now it's the home. And if there was a um, domestic problems before, now the person is stuck at home on a full-time basis and so it escalates the, the issues. So that area is actually increasing. And 
it's really troubling because it's much more of a challenge for employers to deal with that when somebody is working at home than obviously if someone is coming into their building or uh, harassing or bullying an employee. So yeah, it's a big challenge and it is on the, the upswing, uh, unfortunately. So you're, you're right on in your observations there. Um, as for the future, because this is not gonna last forever, is uh, we will have obviously people going back to work. I think we are likely to see an uptick in workplace violence. Um, one, because it's gonna return to whatever is a normal level. Uh, so that's gonna be an increase from what we have now. But I think more so we're gonna see more stressors involved because we're gonna have a new workplace. You know, you got this social distancing, you're gonna have different kinds of rules and operations, and it's gonna cause people frustration. Um, and so that's gonna happen. But plus, um, we got a situation now um, that from a violence perspective is kind of a ticking bomb. We got people sheltered at home, um, very little opportunity for relief of stress. So they can't go to the gym, the gym's closed. Um, no hanging out with the boys or hanging out with the girls anymore. Um, they no can't go to you at Whole Foods. <laughs> they can't go to Whole Foods. My weekend is shot <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, they can't go shopping. Um, and so any issues that exist in the family are now exasperated um, and little relief. And so that's kind of pent up. Um, and uh, the hope is that obviously once they're able to go back to work, maybe that's helpful, but they're going to bring a lot of that stress with them. So I think we are going to see an uptick. Um, and I think domestic violence, back to your earlier point, Scott, um, is actually going to continue on an uptick even when people return to work because uh, domestic violence is fundamentally about one person trying to control another. And so as people are able, the spouse or other significant other are able to go back to work and kind of get out from under them for a moment, they're gonna to try to re-exert their control and that's gonna show up in the workplace. So uh, I, that's my perspective, but you know, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think when you look at the two things you just said, you know, with respect to the domestic situation and, and the future work, Place situation. We talked about this on a couple episodes ago. I, I can't remember when it was. And it was um, just talking about how the timing for getting people to look at a continuous monitoring solution to catch some of these things is was so crucial. And I don't think we really went into the details of, you know, the op, those particular things. I think we were just talking about, hey, it's, you know, COVID's happening and when they get back. But you just painted a beautiful picture of why, you uh, taking this solution, continuous monitoring to an employer right now, there's two primary examples of why they would want to do that. Both right now, while people are out of out of sight, you know, the absence of a capable guardian is when a crime can happen. And then also secondly, come back to the workplace, um, what's going to happen. So do you think that this is, you know, time is of the essence? Or do you think people should just, you know, wait till things are in the clear with respect to monitoring? Well, see, it's an interesting point. I think that I'm always seeing an advocate of preparation um, and uh, early detection 
and prevention go hand in hand. So I think uh, criminal continuous criminal monitoring is a tool that can be very helpful in early identification of issues um, that puts us in a place to intervene and address them. And a point I want to mention before I forget it, because with my old brain cells, sometimes that happens. You mean your is, legendary brain cells? Legendary <laughs> brain cells. <laughs> uh, for companies that have already implemented a continuous monitoring, they actually have an advantage over companies because they don't have to deal with an issue that I think you and I, Nick, talked about. They don't have to deal with the dilemma of, well, we had people that were laid off or furloughed and they're coming back. Do we rescreen those people now because they've been out for months or weeks and something could have happened that we need to know? Because if you have a continuous monitoring program in place, you already have that information. Yeah, so that's something that, um, again, is an advantage for those that were astute enough to put it in uh, before this pandemic hit. That doesn't help anybody, obviously, that doesn't have it. Uh, but to come back to your point is that I think, again, planning and preparation um, is the issue that organizations, they have an opportunity now to think about, okay, we got people coming back into the work environment that have been real stressed. Uh, how do we identify some of those issues uh, now uh, and put in place programmatic efforts to address that so we aren't caught off guard? Now, historically, and I know this from my years of workplace violence work, most organizations are reactive by nature. They don't do anything until something happens. And then they scramble to put in something to address it. Um, and most organizations, unfortunately, will do that now. But some have the opportunity to get ahead of the curve and think, okay, we can put in uh, continuous monitoring that can help us identify some of those precursors, some of those early warning signs, and we can get ahead of the curve. And those organizations will definitely benefit uh, by doing that. One other issue that I thought about that really relates to uh, this whole conversation is that many of those stressors that I referenced that uh, people are experiencing given the shelter in place and restrictions that have put on them um, and, um, you know, concerned about their own health, obviously concerned about their loved one's health, particularly if they have a, uh elderly parent or something that may be in a home that's being cared for because they are being ravished. Um, all of these stresses um, are things that, are very real that people uh, are going to bring to work. It's not going to automatically go away. So we have to understand that. But there's a key piece that I'm not sure that organizations are thinking about, and it requires what I call parallel thinking. You know, we, particularly in our industry, we've trained and helped employers to understand they don't want to make a bad hire. And that really refers to someone that has a criminal record uh, or has done something bad uh, in their past. Um, and so it could be, um, you know, a DUI if I'm a driver. Um, it could be my credit score has significantly dropped, whatever. Those are not just indicators of bad behavior 
or maybe bad judgment. Um, but we also have to step back as an organization and understand they are stressors. So if I get a DUI and I'm a driver, I know that potentially my job is on the line, which means my income is on the line, and then I got other problems. So I'm stressed over that. Obviously, if I get arrested, uh, a similar picture emerges. And so what organizations need to do is in parallel with identifying, okay, this is a risk, we also need to get that person some help. And so they need to really re-engage the employee assistant programs to really refer people to them to get some help. Because if we can help them relieve whatever stress is going on in their life, then it's what we call enlightened self-interest. They are less stressed, they've gotten help, so they're not gonna turn that energy towards us and commit some kind of foolish act of violence. So I think um, this whole notion of continuous monitoring uh, has a very important place to play in this whole picture. By the way, Vince's credit score is, is absolutely horrific. Uh, all the money he spends at Whole Foods, just <laughs> it's out of control. I wish that my credit score were as high as the receipt total when I go to Whole Foods. <laughs> 600 and above would be ideal, but unfortunately, it's just not there. So. Oh and, and here, I'm just happy that I didn't have to edit anything out that Scott just said. <laughs> the first time. <laughs> where that was going could have been really interesting where it ended up. <laughs> I almost held my breath for three I'm, and a half seconds. I'm yeah. behaving myself. We have a strict rule of no PBSA stories allowed on this podcast. Well, you didn't, you'd invite any alcoholic beverages. Usually you say, bring an alcoholic beverage to the podcast. So I'm drinking coconut water right now. Wow. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, I think we've, I think we've covered a lot of territory here, Barry. Yeah. And um, I, I've got I, one. I, I've got a question some... for Barry. Yeah, just, go ahead. Go ahead. Just again, kind of a legendary question for him, you know, despite everything that's happening right now to CRAs are getting decimated. I'm, I'm having phone calls after phone calls and I'm seeing 20 to 80% decline in volume and revenue across, across the landscape. Yep. What's your perspective, uh, Barry? You know, have you thought about what's the future of our industry coming out of this, this crisis? That's a big question, but you break it down by maybe a few things. Yeah, it is a good question. And I actually have a survey out there right now that I'm trying to get people to respond to, uh, to get some perspective on that. But my take on it at this point is that, unfortunately, um, the CRAs that are not well managed may not make it through this. Um, and so that's, I think, something that may happen. Um, and many of them may in fact uh, end up getting bought out um, by someone that's doing well. Uh, hopefully they make enough money so that they're okay. But I think that that's one outcome that is, is likely to occur, um, depending on obviously how long this pandemic thing occurs. Um, but I think also that um, CRAs need to use this time to think about when the crisis is over, what are they gonna do? Again, not being reactive and wait, okay, it's over. And those companies that have thought about it, have strategically put in place a plan how to address this, are gonna leave them behind. 
Um, and so I think that they need to now, in spite of all the stuff that's happening and all the challenges and issues that they're faced with that are very real, they need to be thinking strategically, okay, on day one, when this is over, what's our plan so that we can make sure that at minimum, we don't lose market share, but actually be thinking progressively about how can we gain market share? Um, and so I think that's something that's very important for CRAs to be thinking about. Um, it's a challenging time, but this is, you know, that old saying of when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Uh, this is a time period where people need to step back and say, yep, really tough time, but how do we figure out not only how to get through this, but how we can thrive uh, when this whole thing is over? Now, a classic one, and some people will see this as self-serving because we are marketeers for the industry, but a classic one is you don't just cut out all your marketing because the market is down. Um, and so if you do that, you save some money right now. No question about that. And I know that's needed. As you mentioned, some companies are down 80%. But if you do that and your competitors are still marketing and still promoting their services and getting known out there, then you're actually falling behind. So you got to understand that. Um, there's a piece that we're going to put out, I don't know, within the next couple of weeks or so, that talks about a historic pattern that actually happened during the Depression. And it was really with a number of the major brands um, that stopped advertising altogether during the Depression. And there were other major brands that pushed forward with their marketing and they significantly captured the market share. And in some cases, those companies that didn't do their average, maintain their advertising, never regained that market share. So again, um, it's something that is time tested and true. But again, I understand every company's got to make their decisions based on their own resources and their view of the market. But it's not a time just to shut down all of your marketing. Yeah, appreciate that that feedback. And another legend in background screening, Kim Kerr, who's actually also an advisor to to to, to my company, said it probably a little simpler. He just said, "Reorg, retool, innovate." That's there how you're you going to get through it. You know, mm -hmm. that's right. Absolutely, absolutely. And Barry knows uh, Kim very well. He was the co-author of the book Barry referenced earlier today. Yeah, that's right. Kim's my buddy. Uh, we had fun. Barry, we're gonna we're. Book. We're going to quadruple sales uh, from this podcast on, on, on that book because I'm putting that all over the place. I still can't <laughs> believe you included me in that and actually published what I said. Yeah, well, it was great. You guys were rolling at that time. And it was like, hey, I was happy to have you uh, in it. And um, it was really a, quite an interesting project. I made uh, a lot of good friends and connections from doing that. So it was really something I enjoyed. But I have to tell you, it was more work than I ever imagined it would be to put that book together. Oh, I can only imagine. It's one thing to write one chapter. And, and, and that thing ended up being, I don't know how many pages, but that was, a, that was a big deal. Yeah, it really was. But it was fun and it turned out well. So. Yep.
Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, um, Barry, thanks for joining us. This is great. Um, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, we've certainly learned a lot. I imagine the people that are listening to the podcast will learn a lot too. Um, thank you for your time. Um, stay well, stay healthy. Um, and uh, we hope to have you on again real soon. Um, if anybody's interested in learning more about SJV, uh, feel free to look us up at www.sjvdata.com. Uh, and uh, again, we'll, let's let's give Barry one more plug too. If anybody's looking to learn more about pre-employment directory, they can go to www.preemploymentdirectory.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Barry. Take care, bud. Appreciate it. Take care.